Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Get ready for a big weekend of live sport with Sky Sports and Sports Extra, half price for six months. Watch the Champions Cup with Leinster versus Saracens on BT Sports. And all four days of the US Open only on Sky Sports. Absolutely superb. Get Sky Sports and Sports Extra, half price for six months. Search Sky Sports Sale. New sports customers only. Standard pricing applies after six months or of cancelling one element of the bundle. Minimum term and further terms apply. Welcome Open Goal, it's a shit shirt day, uh, thanks for joining in big man. Well I never broke my shit shirt, <laughs> it's one of my better ones. This is a belter that. Ah, it's a good one aye. GQ uh, shirt of the summer. Is it aye? Mm-hmm, for 2018. GQ? <laughs> Who's that? It's a magazine mate. I obviously don't know what they're doing do they? <laughs> <laughs> right, sad day for me. First guest I've had on that could probably batter us. No, I'm a gentle giant. Are you? Ah, you know, I've never been in trouble in my life. <laughs> <laughs> big Gaz O'Connor thought he could, could take his, but he, he went back to Berwick with second prizes. Oh, big Gaz O'Connor wouldn't hear the brains out, he fight. <laughs> <laughs> you said that, not me. Right, big target, man. Dying, breathing the game now. I was uh, going to ask you, how would you have fared in today's game where you actually had to control the ball with your feet? <laughs> <laughs> I did sometimes when I did play. No, I just... Uh, I think with VAR, the technology, the TV replays and the way some players are play-acting now, I don't think it would be... I think I would struggle. I think I would get frustrated. He used to get frustrated anyway because mm. um, he used to fend off defenders and get a wee elbow here and a wee elbow there and they would roll about then. So that side of the game is never going to change but I think technology would intervene and say, oh, I, he elbowed him, get him off and you'd be like, well, what's the point? It's just, unfortunately, you're bigger than everybody else or bigger than some guys. So when the arms are up and what have you, it's just... It's accidental. You never ever deliberately. I've only ever deliberately elbowed one person. Who was that? Oh, I don't know what I say. Come on, tell us. I don't know. I played with Rangers and I came on as a sub and there was a boy that was playing for Queen of the South at the time and I don't know what it was. I just I didn't like the guy and <laughs> I just thought he's getting one tonight. <laughs> and obviously I, I did and I got a straight red card and that was it. Uh-huh. And but see, growing up, were you always that big guy that played up no, front? No, I was school? actually quite a big. Uh, what would they call it? A big streak of piss. <laughs> <laughs> I was, um, no, I was a big, uh, I've obviously filled out in my later years, uh-huh. but um, when I was young, I was just a tall, skinny boy and I was bigger than everybody at school. Um, I was quite fast at school, which obviously I didn't show when I played professionally, but 
I could get about, and uh, I was always bigger than that. And I could, I used to score goals all the time. No matter what age level I played at, mm -hmm. um, and that's the kind of ironic thing about when I actually got into my, my professional career. It's one thing I struggled with was the amount of goals, and yet growing up, I scored goals everywhere. So. It's maybe just because of different pressure, you know what I mean? It's a, a huge pressure scoring goals. Mm -hmm. um, but no, I was always big, always. I, I never ever thought I'd be a target man. That was Sunderland doing. And ultimately, did it, did it help me? It probably did. Did I want to maybe do another road? But it just they decided that this was what how I was going to play. And I kind of moulded into that and, and, and went with it. Go, I went, kind of went with the flow, really. Just listened to what I was being told and, and worked on that. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you grew up in Sunderland. I grew up in Stranraer. Um, who was your in, idols growing up? You know what? My idol was actually Frank McAvenny. <laughs> oh, friend of the show, Frank. <laughs> For what reasons? For what reasons or other reasons? Growing up, my dad was a Celtic fan. Right. Uh, he wasn't like a season ticket holder or anything, but he would, uh, he would come down after the school football and say, Ken, do you want to come and watch Celtic today? And I'd be like, aye. So me and my wee... Well, he would just take me, really, because my older brother, he ended up supporting Rangers. I don't know how that happened. And my wee bra was Celtic, so we'd got more Celtic when the day you could just go in and pay. And obviously at that time, Frank McAvenny would be playing. Um, who else? Guys like uh, I don't know, like um, Charlie Nicholas, Charlie people like that, Joe Miller, Brian McLaughlin, things. Uh, so that was how he was. He was a kind of guy that I thought oh, I might be Frank McAvenny because he scored goals. Mm -hmm. But later on in life, when Big Duncan Ferguson arrived at the scene, and I was moulding my way into the game, I thought Big Duncan, he's a a proper target man, and he became my, my idol. He was the one guy that I only ever wanted to meet, you know what I mean? There was him and uh, probably Tiger Woods, but uh, a different sport. But Big Dunk was obviously a big idol. So growing up in Schnorr, that's how Frank McAvenny kind of came about. But um, years later, I got to meet Frank McAvenny, and my, my opinions of Frank McAvenny totally changed. So, <laughs> uh, so no, he, he, he no longer was a hero of mine. Right, OK. Uh, on to Sunderland, how did, you, how did that move come about? Well, what happened was I, I played um, school football uh, in Stranraer, and basically, Stranraer being a small place, we only had like five teams in the league, so to try and get an opportunity to become a footballer, you had to go to Ayr, which is like 50 miles away. Mm -hmm. So I had to travel to Ayr every Saturday and back, or every Saturday, Sunday, to try and get noticed. So from the age of 12, I would go up, but I was like, I don't know if you remember, like the date of birth thing, if you were born before July, August, you could play in that age group. If you were born after August, you had to play in the age group above. Oh, right, okay. So I was always playing with, a, or something, I was always playing with age group higher than me, the age that I was actually, I was, so I was 12, I was playing with 13 year olds and so on. So I had a few trials along the way, blah, blah, nothing really happened. Um, and then at the age of 16, I decided, right, that's it, I'm not, I'm not going to cut the mustard, but, the SFA changed the date of births, so the date of birth got brought back to January, so that meant I was able to play under 16s one more year. So then obviously I stuck it like a sore thumb at a, a, a tournament in there. And then, it's weird, I was playing, I was actually doing the park on a Friday night with my pals, here in a wee bottle of uh, red cola. Yeah. And uh, my mum turned up in the car, she went, Kevin, Kevin, I was like, what? Some guys on the phone for Sunderland, wanting you go to Ireland tomorrow to play in the Milk Cup with Sunderland? I was like, no way. I said, I'm working tomorrow, Mum. She said, well, you need to phone them back. So it was obviously the name mobile phones in the days. It was uh, back up the house, phoned them, and I said, look, I've got a job. I'm, I was still at school, but I had a job working as a baggage handler on the ferries, right. and I couldn't get time off. He says, well, tell you what, we'll, we'll get you down next week for a trial. So I was like, fine. So, so didn't you didn't go on the trial because you were working on the ferries on the ferries? Aye, because I was working, so I didn't go. <laughs> and uh, so this guy's like, aye, we've had reports that... Uh, you're a good big target player, I season. Well, we're going to get you done and see how things go. So that was the summer of 98. 
So I went down to Sunderland for a trial. So Monday to Friday, the training was absolutely rock solid. I could not trap a bag of cement, honestly. <laughs> because growing up in Stranraer, we didn't train. Uh -huh. Because to train, I would have to, I went to Ale every Wednesday. And uh, the travelling was expensive enough just take me up on a Saturday. So I never actually learned how to pass drills and things like that. I just knew how to play football on a Saturday. So the training was crap Monday to Friday. But then obviously playing a game on a Saturday, so I scored the first week. So we keep an all week, Monday to Friday, rubbish again. Played on the Saturday, scored again. Third week, did the same, scored again. So the guy was like, like he says, there's something there. He says, we're going to offer you a six-month trial contract. How does that feel? And I was like, oh, fuck, that'd be class. So six-month trial contract, that was me. Packed my bags, my dad took me down. We got lost in the way there. God knows, we ended up in fucking South Shields somewhere. <laughs> so we didn't actually ever get to Sunday. So we went down there, and at that time, it was... Um, I don't know, the dream was the dream was alive. And um so six months six months kinda passed and uh, I was like, oh this is this is just not happening. This, I, I really struggled like training wise. Uh, I was wearing big fucking canoe boots that only fit in there. boys were ripping uh -huh. rip the piss out of me. It's just how it was. I, I just came very Kunzer State and Stranraer, you know, it was quite a big eye opener and these guys well, they'd been coming through the system. Whereas mm -hmm. I'd just come off the street and Struggled and uh, really, really struggled. Struggled with homesickness and uh, I went. And then what? Um, so after six months, I, I was playing under 19s when I was really the same age as the 17s. But the English date of birth thing hadn't changed, so I was still playing. Like I was only 17, playing under 19s, and I was scoring a few goals and doing all right. And um, so Pop Robson was the the manager. So he was always the ex West Ham. He was a, a right superstar in English football. And Ricky Sprazier. Been he was my manager, that, uh, so he yeah. was fucking hard as fuck, man. Honestly, he was the most <laughs> horriblest guy you could ever imagine. And you think a guy's like, I don't know, he's talking Scottish football about Jim McLean when he shouts and all that, and Jockey Scott and that. But see, Ricky Sprazier, oh man, he put the fear of death into you. Oh, he shot me, just. Just like, you see, you're a big fucking daft Scottish gunt coming in here and thinking you know everything. He says, <laughs> eh, you know nothing, you're a bit back road before you know it. And I was like, all right, okay. And, so what happened was, six months had passed, I scored a few goals, and they were like, we're no, we're no too sure whether we're going to keep you on, Kevin. And I was like, all right, OK. So, but the, 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 the academy director, Ian Branford, who was at Southampton, he was like, no, I, I still think there's something there. We gave him an hour six months, nothing to lose. So I gave him an hour six months. During that period, my dad took a heart attack. And I, I was ready to get up. I thought, ah, I don't know what to do. So my dad had took a heart attack, went home, saw my wired up, and uh, I thought, you know what? I'm going to go back to down here, I'm going to get my head done because this guy's drove me up and down the country for six years to try and get me to this opportunity and I'm going to throw it away. So off I went back down the road. Got to the end of the six months, the season was ending. I pulled me out of the offices, Kevin, we're going out, we're going away to Holland for the end of the season tournament. You're not coming, uh, we're letting you go. And I was like, right, OK. So at that time, my best pal in football was George McCartney, who played with some... Aye, uh, George, uh, uh, George lived in Belfast. Uh, Shankill, yeah. and uh, George could drive. So me with my contacts in Stranraer with the boat, George would drive me to Stranraer and I'd get my free trip in the boat home. So it worked out well, that was my way of getting home. So what happened was George forgot his passport, didn't he have a passport? So I had a passport. So this is Kevin, like, George isn't coming because he's kind of get his passport back in time, we'll take you to Holland. I was like, this is just, just as a, a thank you. And I was like, right, okay. So he went to Holland, the first two games, the two strikers got injured. So I had to play. Fucking ended up top goal scorer of the tournament, scored about nine goals in this tournament, won the trophy and everything, and the manager's like, that pub, where the fuck's this guy been? <laughs> and I was like, well, maybe the pressure's off me now. He says, right, he says, 
go away home, this is come back on day pre-season and we'll go for their first game of the season, played Man City under 19s, won 4-1, scored a hat-trick, next week played Man U, scored two, that was it, the rest was history, ended up scoring 36 league goals, it was the top score in the youth, the Premiership Youth League and it was a time Kev Phillips was scoring th in the Premiership, so he'd scored 30, it was a tale of the two Kevins in the club and then broke out the reserves end that season and basically the rest was kind of history, so... In terms of luck and how things can change in a heartbeat, that's what happened. And I'm forever grateful for George for losing that passport. <laughs> so <laughs> See, that's, after that tournament, was it just confidence that you got in? Just confidence, aye. I just think that like, the, the pressure had been off, you know, trying to become this footballer. And I just went out and just did what I did. And then confidence appeared. So when, when we were doing the keep ball sessions and the, 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 the passengers, my touch became better because I was more confident. And then... I started to get to know more of the players and I lived in a, I lived in a youth hostel with five boys from Dublin and two from Belfast. So all the English boys would go home at the weekend and we were left in this hostel at the weekend. So the things we got up to at the weekends was, it was brilliant. Like it was a great wee, and these guys are still friends with to this day and it was just uh, the whole experience. Started was, to enjoy it a lot. Ah, I started to enjoy it, started to feel a bit more relaxed and then the minute the gaffer says to you, oh, you're in the reserves tonight and then you're like, all oh, right, okay, aye. And then... Uh, they started asking, started training with the first team, and then you start asking the first team, right, look, Connie, my touch is shite. I said, how do I get it better? Come in at eight o'clock every morning, we'll work on it. And used to come in at eight o'clock and play head tennis over a wee box that size, and we did that every day, every day, every day. And your touch got better. And I said, Connie, I'm good at head on. I says, but I'm not as good as you. How do I get better? Right, come in, we'll do this. And we started working, just started working and everything. Mm -hmm. And just kept asking questions and really, really just put the effort in. And then before you know it, confidence grew and went for reserves, then got the Friday afternoon, I remember, April 2000 and... was a 2000, I think it was. Mm -hmm. Two years after arriving and Peter used to say, big man, you're in the squad tomorrow. The first team were playing Southampton away. I was like, holy shit. What age were you then? 20. 20, right. 20 and that was it. I was like, here we go. And Is he just on Niall Quinn? Was he a top man? Ah, oh, the best you'll ever... The best you'll ever meet. Um, a lot of the, the Irish boys really struggled with homesickness as well. And Quinny took us all to his house for two days over the weekend down in Sedgefield with the horses and stables and all he had. And he settled us into life and just got us all settled in and basically said that this is, this is what you could have if you stick at it and get all this homesickness. And he was just the ultimate, like, I think everybody will say the same about him, mm -hmm. but he really was such a nice guy. Um, looked after everybody, but at the same time he was an unbelievable footballer. Mm -hmm. He was this big guy that everybody ripped a piss out of because his wife would buy all his clothes out of necks and that. It was like, <laughs> when we used to go to the end of the season holidays, we'd want to chip in an extra 20 quid each to get Quinny an outfit for the, for the trip. And, uh, but he was all right. He'd come in, like, he'd come in some days in a pair of jeans and pair of wellies up to knees. Uh -huh. Just like, what the fuck is he got on the day? Leather waistcoats and uh -huh. that. Bit like yourself, but um, <laughs> so but no, he was uh, the ultimate gentleman. He was brilliant, absolutely fantastic. Do you think he's seen something in you as well? I think he did. I think he saw a lot. I think he always saw the best in everybody. And uh, because I was the height I was, but I'm tall, but Quinny's way bigger than I am. He was 6'6". Six, six. And uh, so that's how they started to mould me into, right, Quinny's 30, whatever he was. If we can get this guy going, we could, maybe this could be a, an ideal replacement. And then they used to just say to me, Kevin, you watch your first team on Saturday, don't watch the match, just watch Quinny. And I, that's all I used to do, just watch what he did. And... But what he was doing took years of experience to get to that point. So I was like young and it was very hard to emulate him because I, I felt I was a bit more aggressive than Quinny. He had a bit more deft touch about him and that. He was like, he was experienced. I was still just young, trying to, I was raw, very, oh, very raw. And like I say, we got to that, that Friday and I invited out the squad and we travelled down and we got down to Southampton and out came this blue strip. 
And I was like, this is not a normal kit. It was because we were red and white, Southampton were red and white, but our away kit that season was pure white. So we had to make up this third strip, which was like a, a unique strip, a one-half unique strip. There's a story behind this, but I'll get to that right, point. Okay. So, this was, so I, this was my debut strip. Came on for 20 minutes. I broke my nose. He'd bought the back of Dean, the late Dean Richards' forehead and the clearing balls and whatever he'd done, come off and... The boys clapped me in and says, well done, big man, great debut. He says, uh, your bank balance will be healthier this month. I was like, oh, what do you mean? This is, I says, I'm only on like 600 quid a week. I said, only. At that time, it was a fortune. He says, aye, but it's five grand a win bonus. I went, I said, I get that. He says, aye. I said, oh, you're done, sir. And then, so you've got an appearance money in your contract. I says, it's three grand. First team appearance money. I says, you get that too. I was like, no way. Wow. I was thinking there's two, two games left this season. Hopefully I'll get picked next week. And that's what happened. Get picked the next couple of weeks. But what happened was that strip was my debut strip. This is now Kyle 34. So years down the line, I always gave my strips to my brothers. And they, I said to my brother one year, I said, where's that blue strip? That's my, my debut strip for Sunderland. Oh, I went and holiday abroad. He says, no, I met this wee disabled Sunderland fan. He said, I felt sorry for him, so I gave him it. I said, Mark, that's, the, that's my first ever fit boss strip. I said, I said, obviously, I understand you had feelings for this week, Kai. But that was it. My strips disappeared into the abyss somewhere. So somebody's got, somebody's it, got it somewhere. So if anyone ever appears up in a charity shop, I would like it back. Good story, mate. What about see, your debut, though? Were you nervous? I was nervous, but it was like, I'm on the same pitch as well. Like, at the time, all your players were big hitters, like eh, Niall Quinn and Kev Phillips and guys like that. But there was Mark Latesse, he was like, he was on the bench for Southampton and he was warming up beside me. I'm like, fucking hell, there's Mark Latesse, you know what I mean? And uh, even like Dean Richards and the, the, it was just one of the in awe moments. Mm -hmm. And it was a totally different atmosphere. Like, oh, whatever, what he was over the strip with the Premiership badge on the side and stuff. And then the week after, like, you're playing Everton and I'm thinking, fucking hell, we're playing Everton. No, last game of the season was the third game I got involved in. We played Everton. I think, we're not big dunks fit. Because he was never fit. Every time I played Everton, he was always injured. Mm -hmm. I never, ever got to meet him. I've still, to this day, I've never met him. But I will. I got his strip. And, uh, but it was just a, a real experience, you know what I mean? It's it just, it's hard to remember how I felt that time, but I just knew it was a good feeling and it was fantastic. Obviously, the manager of that team, Peter Reid, how was he for you? Everybody was scared of Peter Reid. He had that aura about him that, oh God, he has the gaffer, because he was always angry. Um, always angry, always chewing, chewing gum. And he just, just one of the guys that like played in the World Cup. You know what I mean? That's Peter Reid. And uh, very knowledgeable, very, very clever. Um, had the absolute respect of everybody. And you just always were tiptoeing around the guy. And uh, if he ever shouted at you, you just thought, oh, please, somebody swallow me up. Cause I did, you get, did you ever get it bad? Uh, I was late for pre-season training one day, say we were back in the 22nd, I came back in the 23rd thinking it was the 22nd. <laughs> I got pulled out of the office and said, right, that's you, you're on a bad march straight away. He says, you're only up there with the times and the running pre-season. I need to look at the situation here and you're like, oh my God, man, what's going to happen here? And that was me and George McCartney, so I blame George because he booked the wrong boat, or I booked the wrong boat for him to come back. And uh, But... No, he, he, Peter Reid was, uh, was a right fiery character, but he'd he done an unbelievable job at Sunderland. He was fantastic. Would he help you individually, or was it more just about the team? He was more about the team. He was a, the, the, the assistant manager at the time, Bobby Saxton, was more the coach, but Peter Reid would intervene. Peter Reid had a good backroom team around him, you know what I mean? And, uh, they, but he was, he just, uh, he, he was funny. Like, old school funny, but because um, like, a few end of season trips to Marbella and stuff, I remember Don Hutch got sent off that Everton game we were talking about, and, um, went to Marbella and uh, 
like I say, I was only on peanuts at the time along with a couple of other boys, but Quinny said, you've made a first team debut, so have you, so have you. You three can come with the first team to my bear. There's a wee envelope that'll keep, keep you all right. And they're like, what's he an envelope? Envelope full of cash. Is that'll keep you for my bear? And you're like, oh, brilliant. And uh, we got there, like, Peter, he's like, Hutch, you get sent off uh, at the weekend there. He says, do you want to find a week's wages or do you want to just buy the boys a round of drinks for the day? And he's like, oh, I'll just get the boys a round of drinks for the day. So obviously we started saying magnums, magnums, it was like... <laughs> so the gaff was like, hey, Hodge, 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 that must have cost you a few quid today. <laughs> he says, ah, oh, it's all right, gaff. I says, I've just looked at the bank balance. I've went one million quid minus 15 grand. He says, I've still got 985,000. <laughs> he says, so that was it. And they were like, I was thinking... Oh my God, man. And we were like to the other couple of younger kids, boys in the team, that I was like, imagine getting to that level. Mm -hmm. and that was your dream, that was your ambition. They were like, right, Kyler, I think you could beat him in the swim pool. Who thinks Kyler could beat him in the swim pool? Like racing up and down the pool, yeah, yeah. like drunk and that. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm an unbelievable swimmer. And then like, I'm on a quid and Kyler and they're all betting and the thing. And in you go. And it was just like, ah, just funny. Like, uh -huh. really good banter on that. See for yourself, like you say, the win bonus, the appearance bonus. See, earning that amount of money, a young guy faced from there. We use it all the time in, in Sunderland. Was it was nights quite, quite uh, a big we time? Quite, quite a lot. I remember going out at the age of like maybe 19, 20 into the town and um, we lived in the hostel. So we had a curfew. We had to be back for a certain time and stuff. So we always couldn't stay out too late. And I, I remember. Got a few I, times that. And then, oh, I did I. <laughs> and uh, I remember going out one time at a club called Idols and the, the girls in the bars would wear the bikinis and that. And I'd be like, oh my God, I'm used to like, we old Mary working on the, the well, chains up in the Stranard. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> no, uh, no something I was used to. And I was like, geez, oh, look at this. This is great. And then I remember sitting somebody said, oh, Gaza's next door? I was like, no way. And then like Gaza was in the same nightclub and he was like, next door with Jimmy Fiber's and all next thing he's smashing glasses with his head and I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, this is brilliant. And it's just, it gives you like, you don't want to become that, like be the stupid footballer that everybody like, likes to think, oh, he's a great story. It was just that whole like all on time, it's like it's like oh god, this is it all fitted together. And I remember when I got um, when I got all that money and my wages that month, I just took all my pals to Magaluf. I said, right, come, cool, I got to Magaluf, I'll pay for it, and, and, and off we went. And I think it was still only like an eighteen to thirty hold. Only cost me a couple of hundred quid a head. You know what I mean? But it was uh, <laughs> nice to do that for your ah, pals. It was nice, uh, but it was uh, it was it was some experience. Uh, you instigated a comeback against Arsenal League Cup 2020s or two, didn't you scored the goal? Aye, two. Is that the time you arriving? I don't know. I don't know if I ever actually arrived. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got a debut because some of them are flying high, finished seventh, and then we finished fourth bottom, and then eventually we got relegated. So um, I only played sub appearances here there in the Premiership. It was only when I got to the Championship that I really started playing well. But that night, uh, 2 0 down, I scored a goal, then Marcus Stewart scored, and then I think Marcus Stewart maybe scored the winner. And you're like 3 2, and you jump in the bus, and Sky Sports and the bus news and that, and you're like, eh, I come back for Sunderland. And I think, at the time, I didn't realise how big a deal it is, but I sometimes say to people when they hear a bit of banter, try and put me down, I'm like, Do you ever score a hybrid? No, mm -hmm. oh, I did, so just don't tell me about, about football. So. Does that annoy you when people do it? Oh, it does annoy me because everybody's got an, every football fan has an opinion. But see, unless you really experience these situations at any level of professional football, they don't know what that's like. Mm -hmm. So they kind of. They kind of judge you. They, 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 they think they know, but they don't know. You could do it in the football part. Best bit of advice I've ever got in football was Kevin Phillips. Used to get, like, no, no so confident, but when I was, we were losing confidence, I said, Kevin, look, I'm really, really struggling with confidence. And I said, I'll tell you what you do, Kevin. He says, the fans are giving me stick. I've never had this before, and it's tough. He says, go down to your Sunday league and watch the Sunday league football. He says, watch the guys that kind of kick their own arse. He says, they are the guys that are telling you you can't play football. And I thought, oh, you're right. And that's true. It's like, you could do anything. 
know what I mean? It's, that's the truth of it. And uh, that's that's probably the best bit of advice I've ever got in terms of don't listen to the fans. But you must have got massive confidence for oh, you got, oh, confidence. It was like one of the ties where the, the, they play a, a second string team and obviously Arsenal played a second string team but they still had Perez in that playing. Mm. Will Todd and what have you and they come on and, and I was like scored and, and everybody was texting me on my wee whatever it was at the time, Nokia 3310. <laughs> Couldn't keep up with the messages and they... Uh, I think, oh, geez, oh, this is this is awesome. Like I was just, but it took forever to get that first Premiership goal because mm -hmm. sub appeal and sub appeal and start, start, start. I had a three or four. I remember scoring from against Newcastle last minute in the derby. Like this allowed. I remember. I, and I was that, like, yeah. oh my god, man! I was a hero for. I see that for that 15 seconds, I felt like in top of the world. I was like, oh my god, I am going to get absolutely plastered with a drink tonight, and yeah. this new son are going to love me. And then the line was standing over the flag, like, what are you doing? It's <laughs> like, oh, the big Tory Andy Flo's pulled the keeper back. I went, no, he didn't. He says, I did. And that was it. We got beat 1 0. And things like that, you just remember and how they could be different if the decision went your right way. I think Howard Wilkinson became the manager at that time. Aye, how was he for He started to give you game time, didn't aye, he? Aye, he came in and uh, obviously looked around and uh, uh, the club were looking like they were going to go, get relegated and I ended up getting a new deal out of it because my, my deal was expiring in the summer so they wanted to tie me down and um, Howard was different. I think Howard, very, very knowledgeable at football. Um, his experience obviously with Leeds and the clubs he worked with before. That's why he got the job but we were a sinking ship and uh, it was very, very difficult to stop that rot. Um, a lot of inexperienced young players, what have you, and some good signings, some bad signings. Um, but he was all right. He brought in a he brought in a, an assistant, Steve Cockrell, who's still involved in the game, and used to put the games up on a flipboard and say, right, this is the points we can get. This is the way we can get the points to stay up. And every week we kept ticking an X through these games, and we're like, when we get in there, and then some of the things he made us do. I remember sitting watching a, a, a video about geese. Geese? Geese, aye. He said, this is the best fit. I'm going to show you a video of the best football team, the best team in the world. And we're like, all right, OK. I must be putting on Barcelona or something. I'm a dead. Fucking flock of geese come on the telly. <laughs> Thought you were back in some I'm, like, I'm like, where is this? Kev Phillips and guys like that are in the same room. And I was like, where is this guy doing? Mm -hmm. I just thought, I'll go along with it. I'm only young. And he says, look at this. And there's that geese there. Look, he's just dropped out of formation. He's come back in and we're still going. I was thinking, oh, this guy's losing the plot, man. You're trying all sorts. And then used to get Stevie Cockwell and he would say, right, see this weekend? I've only got three words to say to you. Grind this one out. <laughs> and I'm like, that's four. That's four <laughs> words. And it just got to a point well, where it became a rabbit. It was a shambles. And obviously they ended up losing their job and Kevin Ball <laughs> came in and kind of just seen as we got really... And then Mick McCarthy came in, obviously. And Big Mike was our blessing in the sky. See, just on the relegation tour, how would big players like Quinn and Phillips react to stuff like that? I don't know. I know as a young player, coming out the stadium, having been relegated that day against Arsenal, it was Arsenal that actually relegated us, and um, you're like, fans giving you abuse for, like, properly, for, like, seriously, for the first time, and I'm like, it's not really my fault. I've only been a few sub peers, but I was part of that team. It was my fault. Mm -hmm. And uh, you think, oh, God, you don't really realise the impact, and all of a sudden we're come back in the summer and we're talking about the club going into administration, we're talking about there's not enough finance, people losing their jobs and that's when the reality hits home nights of Quinn Phillips and that they had potential to move on to other teams. I think Big Quinny just retired. Um, Kev moved on to somewhere else and a lot of other players moved on but it was, it was tough. What, um, what went wrong then? Just too many inexperienced players did you think? Aye, probably that and uh, Sunderland's a huge club and at that time we were getting like 49,000 fans a week. So when you come to a club like Sunderland and you've never experienced that atmosphere, 
sometimes it can be overwhelming. And if you don't perform to the levels that you had been performing to, the right, to, to get to a club like Sunderland, the fans will soon turn on you. And when they turn on you, and if you can't perform in front of that atmosphere, it becomes difficult. And I always felt that too many of our, the newer players couldn't perform at that level. And the pressure got to them. And ultimately, we just folded like a deck of cards. And then you get in a rut. And every weekend, you try your hardest. You'd think, oh, the day will get, it'll change the day. And when it doesn't change, it just gets more and more soul-destroying. And it's a fantastic city for like fans and the club and everyone else. It's a shame where they are now. Hopefully, Jack can can sort them out, but um, a great club and a great city. See, with the, the club, obviously, in the city, how good are the derbies to play in? You mentioned the disallowed team. Oh, I remember the, when I was 98 and arrived, they played Newcastle at Newcastle, St James's Park, the night Sheeder, Hullet dropped Sheeder, right. and they beamed the game back to the Stadium of Light on the pitch. So I went around to watch it, and oh my God, when I left the Stadium of Light, the whole city was fucking peeping the horn, something that you would see when France won the World Cup and that, that's what it was like in the city. And I was like, holy shit. And then even when we played like Newcastle youth team, I remember playing Newcastle youth team and it was like Gary and Stevie Colwell were the centre halves. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, I have these two of the day, these two are getting. <laughs> and I remember uh, going up for a header and I wiped out Stevie. I was like, wiped out Gary, I wiped out Stevie. And Gary got angry. So he came out on track elbow, meaning he got straight red cards. I see Gary, bye. <laughs> Stevie's rolling about in the gun, you know, and that's just, I just sorted them two right out. And then Kelso was in the midfield for new cars. He's pissing himself laughing. Aye, bye, He's pissing himself laughing. Hey, big man's got them two again. He stayed in the rat room my finger. But as the years went on and the main experience, like, they did get their, they, they did get me back. Yeah. You know what I mean? They did get me back. But at that time, I was like, I was, I was like, I touch water, it turned to gold. That's how I was playing at the youth team. I was scoring like goals every bloody week. And I used to think, oh, big Gary Collier and Stevie this week. Fucking dancer. Got them on ah, Big Shola was up front. Shola <laughs> was up front. It was just, it was funny. Like, I think, look back now, youth team days and some of the players you played with. Mm -hmm. Like the Leeds team that went Oh, unbelievable. But yeah. you didn't realise at the time, they were just playing against this guy the day. But when you see what went on and did in their careers, you're thinking, God, I played with some right good players. But see the. The time near Derby is it up there with the old firm in the same oh, sort aye. of. Oh, The thing with the the, 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 the Scottish Derby, the, the old firm Derby, is more down to politics and what have you. Where this, that's just a hatred for each and other. Mm -hmm. You stay in one side of the, the, the water, and we stay in the other side of the water. We just hate you, mm -hmm. and it was absolutely nuts. You know what I mean? It's uh, and the build up to the game is much different. Oh, the build up. I remember what 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 the eye opener for me was when arriving at the game as just a, a spectator and every Newcastle supporters bus coming in, so it was a double-decker bus, police car, double-decker bus, police car, between them all, and they all get escorted from one city to the other. Wow. And I thought, that doesn't happen here. Yeah. That's how bad it was, and I thought, oh my goodness, this is, this is a serious derby. Brilliant. Uh, you said Mick McCarthy came in, blessing in disguise. How, how good was he for you? Mick came in, and he basically just realised that we were relegated, we were getting relegated, I'm going to give these young boys a chance, and... Uh, see what I've got for next season. So I was like, right, okay. So uh, the first game, I think, we played Chelsea. And I was like, right, okay. So he started me, me and a few other younger boys. And I was thinking, geez, oh man, I'm starting my day against Chelsea. And they had John Terry at the back. John Terry, Baba Yaro, Desai, and fucking Graham Rousseau. Wow. And I'm thinking, I fancied a bit of John Terry. I did. John Terry wasn't the John Terry that he was later on in his years. That was <laughs> him just starting it. And I probably had the best game I've ever had in a Sunderland jersey. Absolutely got right in about John Terry. Uh, we lost 2-1. Well, flung him about a wee bit to a point, but he flung me about there. And uh, but had an unbelievable game. Well, 1-1 and then Carlton Cole came on and scored a, 
And I remember after the game, Claudio Ranieri did an interview with Match of Day and he said something along the lines of, this was a very, very tough... Was it Claudio Ranieri? It was Ranieri. So this is a very, very tough game. And she said, you just asked John Terry in the dressing room, he is very, very black and blue today. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I must have did my job well today. And then Gaffer came in, shower, sitting in the shower, ball it, just in a shower with the boys, and then the Gaffer walks in, ball it naked, big silver head and all that, and you're like, <laughs> oh, God, oh. <laughs> That's what I want to see every week. <laughs> and, that, and that was it. Says, and, that, and that was it, you know, and uh-huh. he gave me confidence. So I played a few games after that to end the season and he says, we get back, he'd down and we crack on. And then obviously that season I played something like 44 league games out of 46. We had a cup run, we got to the semi-final FA Cup. We lost in the playoffs to um, Crystal Palace. I ended up finishing top scorer, joint top scorer for Sunderland and... Uh, an unbelievable season, and the gaffer said, we're getting a new contract, because Crystal Palace got promoted. Ian Dowie phoned me and said, your company went, went to bring it to Crystal Palace. He says, we're in the Premiership, you're coming. And I was like, right, OK, I'm, I'm, I'm up for that. Mm-hmm. So then a contract got offered to them, and I was thinking, jeez, oh man, that's it, it's the big thing. It was about like 14, 15 grand a week they were mm-hmm. offering. So I mulled it over, mulled it over, and Sunderland didn't know this at the time, because obviously it was a hush-hush, mm-hmm. and they... Uh, Mick McCarthy pulled me and says, Kevin, he says, we're going to offer you a new deal. And I was thinking, well, I'm on fucking good money anyway here. I must be getting even more. He says, whatever anybody's trying to sway you, he says, we are, you're going to be the focal point of us going back up next season. And I was like, you're dancer. And the phone made and I says, someone's going to offer me a new deal. He says, ah, he says, didn't you rush in? He says, we'll negotiate, we'll get a good deal for you. And I was like, oh, this is great. This is, this is the jackpot. And uh, I was thinking all sorts of cars I was buying and houses and <laughs> what I was going to do. Stella Aye, and then first kid, a week into pre-season, ball to him, he'd turned, felt this pinch in my groin. I was like, oh, God, that was sore. And the, the physio physician, I just kind of tweaked it. And then for weeks and weeks, this groin wasn't going to get any better. I was like, oh, my God, this is killing me. So then they've worked out that it says you've got a, an impingement of your hips, so basically your ball and socket joint, a wee bit of bone was growing that was rubbing against my cartilage. So they took me down to a, a surgeon, repaired my cartilage, and uh, back in three three months, back in three months, came back, first game back, scored five against Arsenal Villa reserves, and then the second game I scored three against Bolton reserves. I thought, here we go. I'd started the first seven games of the season, but I was playing through an injury. Mm-hmm. I was playing well, and this contract still wasn't signed because we were really negotiating it. And then when I came back for the hip injury, the, the, the hip operation, and I didn't actually look, I don't feel any better than I did the forward operation. Right, okay. And that was it. I spent the next 18 months out injured and the contract got took off the table because there was no point in getting somebody a contract he wasn't playing. And I ended up, went down to another hip surgeon. He says, look, you're going to need to retire. You've got bone bruising on your hip bone. And I was like, oh, fuck. So I was like, back down to him and I said, look, if you had your hip knackered, where would you go? This is to the hip surgeon. Mm-hmm. I'd go to a guy in France. So if I went to France, he says, look, there's nothing I can do with this. You've got an impingement. He says, and I can't really, nobody can fix this impingement. And I was like, oh, God. So I says, so that was it. So then Bertie Volks phoned me, because obviously part of the Scotland team. He says, Kevin, why, why are you not back playing yet? And I was like, hips not getting any better. Is that a wee German accent you done? No, oh, I was going to put one on, <laughs> but uh, my, my, my Barnsley one was not much better. <laughs> so uh, I was like, this is Kevin, you need to go see Muller Wolfhart. I said, right, okay. Oh, the famous German doctor, the Bayern Munich one that was injecting everybody with calf's blood and all this stuff. And so I said to Sunderland, this was like, what was this, 14 months down the line. I said, look, can I go to Germany? And they're like, yep, no problem. So I went to Germany and he's injected me every and every day. I went and saw like a chiropractor, saw all these top people are in his network. 
And the last day he was like, oh, I still cannot think of what is wrong with you. And I was like, and she says, right, we'll try again, swap the table, moving about. And he says, ah, I know, I know, you have to go to Holland, uh, to <laughs> America tomorrow. Dr. Philippon will fix you. And I was like, I can't go. At the time, my partner was pregnant and I was running out of contract at Sunderland. And I said, I need to go back to Sunderland. Back to Sunderland, I said, look, they, he said that I've got to send a scan to Dr. Philippon in America. So I sent a scan, Dr. Philippon then phoned me at three in the morning. He says, yeah, Kevin, I saw your scan. He says, it's uh, nothing that I can't fix. And I was like, all right, I'd heard of this before. Yeah. And I uh, went to Sunderland. Sunderland said, look, it's going to cost about 50 grand to send you there. And uh, you've got a year left in your contract. No, your, your, your contract runs out. He says, so if you get this fixed, you basically be a free transfer. We're needing some security. I says, well, I don't know what he's doing. So my agent at the time says, look, I'll pay the 50 grand. I said, then I've got a free agent. And some of them were like, well, would you sign another extension a year? And they dropped my wages down. And I was like, that's fine. So I was like, I was happy to stay at Sunderland. My future, I thought, was at Sunderland. So I went away to America. Guy put me on the bed, turned my leg out. And I was like, oh, he says, yeah, you have impingement. He says, I fix this tomorrow. So I went in, had a five-hour operation. Woke up the next day, woke up after the operation, and I see this bike at the end of my bed. Like, the fuck's a bike doing in my bed? He says, Kevin, you get out? I says, I've just had an operation for five hours or something. I says, oh, I'm still high as a kite here. So when you get on the bike, so I got on the bike and pedaling, I says, you need to get the hip moving. And the next morning he come in and then got my hip up and I'm like that, waiting for him to move it. And he moved it and I was like, oh, that's gone. And he's like, he says, that's you, you're fine. He says, four months from now, do your rehab properly, so you'll be back playing. And sure enough, to that day, to four months, I was back playing. Wow. He even flew over for America on a private jet to Highbury. And I went down with the first team and I ran up and down the park at Highbury at half time so that he could see that my rehab was going well. And then uh, obviously I thank him for saving my career. Mm -hmm. But that took 18 months of my career to actually get back playing. And I never ever felt I could get back to the conference levels I had in the championship and it took a while. And then obviously I had, like I said there, I had a kid and I split up with his partner, my partner and I just felt like I needed to go and have a change and that's what ultimately left me to go to Coventry. How hard is that in football? Everyone thinks it's a glamorous life. See the highs and lows, how hard is it? Oh, it's it's, it's uh, it, the drive that makes you become a football player. It's the same drive that keeps you going through everything in life. Mm -hmm. That drive never leaves you and um, it's very easy to quit in life. And um, everybody has their dark days, but the days were like, I always used to think of the finance that I was, I'd lost, but I thought if I could get back playing, like I had, a, I had a, a decent pension at the time, I had a good savings and I had an insurance policy. So I could have retired there and then at 21 years old, quite wealthy. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to play football. I said, no, no, and, and I did everything I could to try and get back to playing football, and I did. And um, I got back playing, and like I say, I, I wanted to be... I wanted to be that footballer that was before I was injured and it just wasn't going to happen overnight and it took me a long time to get back to that. It probably took me to a move to Kilmarnock before I felt... People don't understand it till no, I'm watching it, do they can affect no, you? No, they reckon the things are tiny you're injured are linked. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The time it takes you to get back to that level you were at before. So about 18 months, it'll take me another 18 months to get back to the old Kevin Kyle that was being talked about. I had every agent in England phoning me because I was the next big thing. I was doing all this in the reserves and youth team and breaking out the first team at 20 and playing with Scotland before they even kicked the first team game and they were like, oh, he's got potential. I was very, very raw when I did all this. But had I got the right coaching and stayed injury-free, I could have maybe, but it was hard. It's accumulation of things and people don't realise that. Do you know what I mean? How was Mick McCarthy with you through the times? Oh, Mick McCarthy was absolutely like dynamite. He supported me the whole way and, and then eventually he got the sack, which was very... When I got back fit, he got the sack. And that was hard to take because I thought, God, this guy didn't deserve the, the, the sack. He was... Um, he'd kept us going, but... Um, he was a well-respected manager, a hard, hard, tough manager, but a very, very knowledgeable guy. And the fact he'd played with Celtic and things like that, you know, and... He was a bit of a hero of mine, you know, when I got to know him and, and then we played Celtic one time in a pre-season final and they introduced me to Billy McNeil and I'm like shaking Billy McNeil's hand, thinking, fucking well, Cup, uh, European Cup winner, Cup winner, or European Cup winner and all that and just a, like, good guy, you know what I mean? Can you and, tell you stories about his career and stuff like that? I could tell, like, I used to, well, I remember the Roy Keane situation, I'd say to him, like, I said, like, we're sitting maybe having a wee meal one night, just a, a team night out and I'd, obviously I'd got into a bit of bother which you were going to ask me about but I'll tell you about it and... Mm -hmm. Just, a, just a, a fracas that happened one Saturday night back home and uh, I had to go home and tell the gaffer about it and, 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 he, and he said to me, it happens all the time, Ken, you just need to rise above it. And I says, I says but it's hard, gaffer. I says, I'm 20 years, 21 years old. I says, it's very, very tough. He says, how do you I feel? I was in a restaurant the other night doing the yarn and uh, just seeing a meal with my wife and my kids. Some guy tapped me on the shoulder and says, uh, Mick, Roy Keane's on the phone for you. He says, I just went, oh, but what I really wanted to do was knock him out. He says, but I couldn't. He says, that's why you've just got to realise that you can't. And that was it. And, and, and that was a good learning curve, you know. I mean, you just learn, you take it on board. Everybody makes mistakes. You've just got, how do you, how do you learn from the mistakes to, to, for it not to happen again? You see, that year you were flying, was it down to him? Or was it just a run of games that you got? I just got in the team and... I just, just confidence was absolutely flying, you know. It was like, it was... Even when he didn't pick me, I was like, well, that's fine. And uh, then my, I looked at Santa Half and I thought, oh, you're getting it today. You know, I used to think, I always looked at Santa Half who I was playing against and I thought, will I get the better of him today? And I thought, I will. So in my head, I knew if I get the better of him, I'm going to hear a good game. There was the odds Santa Half that I thought, oh God, no, him Who do you like? Who In the championship, guys like. See the wee Santa Halfs? Mm -hmm. I hated the wee Santa Halfs because I used to grab the big Santa Half and hold them off. But see the wee ones, I'm like, where the fuck is he? Where is he? No, I couldn't find him. <laughs> and he would just nip in front of me and take the ball away. And so, but, and then guys like Danny Shitu, you know, big Danny uh -huh. Shitu, like he was like the guy at the Green Mile. Uh, he's like the big guy at the Green Mile. <laughs> and uh, he'd be like in the, he'd be in the tunnel like, 
I'm like, what's this? What's going on the other day? And he's like, this is my time. This is my time. And I'm like, oh my god, he's like, he's massive. He, he like marched up and down the tunnel. I'm like, what's he doing? Like, this, is, this is what he does. And I remember like the ball goal kick up, won the first header. I thought, yeah, the second one came right down the top of me. Climbed up, stood on me, and I'm lying on the ground, and he went, yes, stay down! I was like, all right, okay, is that the game I'm going to hear today, aye? Brilliant. And that's just, he uh -huh. was just that, but he was, he was trying to intimidate me, uh -huh. but ultimately, deep down, he was just a big scaredy cat anyway. Uh -huh. You won the championship after that? We did, that year, we, that year I got injured, we went on, and obviously I missed the majority of that, I played only, I think it was like nine games. And then we won the championship. So see, winning the championship was an unbelievable thing. But I felt as though I wasn't a part of it because I only played like the first nine games. Mm -hmm. And the, the promotion party with this, the, going around the stadium and the town and all that was class. The, that, that final day when we got the trophy into the town and stuff, that was, that was class. Gaffer pulled us in, right boys, wait and enjoy yourself. I've got some money for you. See, we've got a budget here for you for your party. Um, uh, we'll square it on Monday. If he's in, he's you no know, a nightclub owner. So he's sat with the phone this guy and I said, Look, we're coming tonight. We've got to bring all the boys night in the club. So we'll square the bill up Monday. Nay, baller, nay, baller. So in the Monday morning, Gavin's like, She's got a bill in there, boys, for the post party. So I told he's eight grand. I said, Why have I got 18 grand? Oh, Gaffer, that was Sean. He was bought all the magnums. <laughs> and uh, it was just, it a was great just, night. aye, a, a fantastic night. It was unbelievable. Because yeah. we, we come out to the nightclub at like eight in the morning. And all the Sunderland fans were queued up for that uh, radio one in the park. Right. So they were all like queued up a mile long trying to get tickets, and we've all just bowled out, and all the Sunderland fans started singing. Stevie Cobb was like, boys, away, him got a couple of us seats, and I'll go back to my house and we'll start again. And we're like, I need ball, Stevie. I went over to about three, four days, you know, and then a, a, a trip abroad and things. But that's what you did. It was a big thing going for this championship to the Premiership, the Holy Grail. Was the team spirit brilliant in that team? Oh, it was a right good team spirit, a lot of piss taking, and that's. Piss taking in football is funny, mm -hmm. but see if you're not prepared to be on the end of it sometimes, it can be a really lonely place, you know what I mean? Sometimes I get, a, I, I, I've lost a lot of teeth and uh, not for a heater. Some kicked me in the mouth and I, I was like, oh, no, I'm not sure. And then I picked myself up and started running back and I shouts, sleeves, sleeves, my wee teammate at the time, Stephen Elliott. He says, Coilo. I was like, oh, I was like, oh God, I've lost my teeth. I'd like lost six or seven teeth. Mm -hmm. So after the game, they were like beside the goalposts. I picked them up, took them in, and I said to the, the dentist, my dentist at the game, he says, Kevin, come straight with me to the hospital. So I went to the hospital, he put them back in and then like siliconed them together to try and make them like attach again. Uh -huh. So they did, but one was up, one was down, one was square, they're all the other place. So I ended up getting new teeth and uh, I ended up, they came with a free whistle. So the abuse <laughs> I took, they fell hat. All right, boys. <laughs> so I was like, all right, Kyle. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I see these teeth. I wish I hadn't got them. Great stories. Uh, I want to ask you a bit about Scotland. Most of your Scotland caps came at Sunderland um, under wee 30 votes. How did you find wee 10.30? Wee 30, I thought he was brilliant. Like, oh, I, the way I describe getting caps to Scotland under 30 votes is he tried to... He didn't have, he had an agent, the agent squad before him and they all kind of like retired. So he had to go out and find the best young Scottish talent that was about to try and form some sort of squad to. And I came under that category. I remember playing at Partick Thistle, there was maybe 30 of us and he had a bounce game with 30 guys that were uncapped. And he was trying to pick out who he could pick along with your Christian Dailies, your Davy Wheels and stuff like that, Colin Cameron, guys that had been in the squad. And I was fortunate enough to be one of them, and um, he, he liked me. He, he really did like me, and and I was kind of filtering in between the 21s and the first the, the full squad because I was very young, 
And uh, and I'd played with the under twenty ones a few years before that, but a couple of incidences kind of I kind of disappeared for that scene, doing it my own fault, you know what I mean? And then I came back to it, and but Bertie was Bertie had great ideas, a great knowledge of football. I mean, the guy won the World Cup, the guy won the European Championship as a manager, so he was he came of good pedigree. Fortunately, just didn't have the players to pick from, mm -hmm. and you're picking guys like me who had all the potential in the world, but wasn't the finished article. Guys like Faddy come in and Faddy Dunwell, uh, Darren Fletcher come in, Gary Caldwell come in, uh, Scott Doby, Robbie Stockdale, guys like this who you'd never heard of. And he's trying to get all them to be a group and be the next best Scotland squad that's going to get us to the European Championships and it just didn't happen. Yeah. Did, did, did you feel like you were good enough to play? Oh, I did, I. I, did feel, I did feel like, I felt like I was good enough. To, the boys that I was training with, and playing with, I thought, I fit in here. I fit in here. I just need to get confident. And it was hard coming away with Scotland because it was a total. I, I was in the Sunderland bubble, and then to come up here, no play well, see when I didn't play well against the Fairway, and then get the the abuse that occurred after that. That was very hard to take. You know, that went on for months and months and months. The guy, I don't know what he works for the Sun, Bill Lake. He couldn't just let it go. I felt like driving up one day and punching that guy in the mouth. You know, I just was sick of him writing negative stuff about me. I had a bad game. We all had a bad game. But it's maybe because my inexperience with the media, I used to say a lot of things and it backfired on me. I didn't deliberately say them because I was disrespecting anybody. It just was raw. I just didn't know what, what I was supposed to say. And uh, But Bertie tried his best. And uh, I think some of the players Bertie picked ended up playing for Scotland for a number of years after it. You know what I mean? Like Gary Caldwell, Faddy and that. They, they, and even Darren Fletcher. They, they had good Scotland careers. So he tried, but is he no of our last manager to get us to a playoff? I don't know, is he? I think, I think he, he is, is yeah, I, yeah, yeah. so it couldn't have been that bad. Yeah. Do you think it, most players think the same as you with Scotland with the press? Think too harsh ah, on the press them? is aye. It's tough. Scottish press is like no other. Yeah. Um, the Scottish press, I'll get phone calls now from the press, Kevin, like Jack Ross going to Sunderland. Can I hear, and I, who, what people do you want for? No, I can't, can't talk to you. I don't, I don't talk to the press anymore. Likes of this is light-hearted and it's a bit of banter. But I'll not talk to the press because... Sometimes you get dragged into thinking they're, they're your friends, when really what they're doing is just looking for that story, that one paragraph that you say. Like, when I gave up football and I got a job working on oil rigs, like, I was front page news for having a job. Mm -hmm. Like, being made, a, made an absolute ridicule of for having a job, I don't think that's fair. Mm -hmm. So, for me to then give them a story that they want to help sell a paper, no chance. Was that only at the end of your career? You, you, you no, made like, that through decision. my whole career, I just thought they were, they were very. Um, they were very, they liked me because I just let, let it go, let the tongue flow and got myself into it. And I used to, people phone me and say, oh, Kevin, what did you say? Even my mum and dad used to say, oh, Kevin, what did you say that for? But that's that just me being honest. honest I couldn't yeah. know, I don't know how to be anything other than that. Right, mate, back on to the career. You moved to Coventry. Why did you leave Sunderland? I'll tell you why I left Sunderland. At that time, I was mad with the gambling. I was really in a, a, a right pickle with gambling. I wasn't in any great financial situations or, or distress, but... Coventry were basically offering me more money. Now Quinn sat me doing and says, Kevin, there's a two-year deal. This is what we're offering you. No bonus, no this, that. I want you to work for this. As in, we'll get your career going again. I says, right, OK. Phone my agent. He says, look, we've got Leeds, Stoke, Coventry and a few other teams willing to take you. So Coventry had Dave McNamee, Colin Carman, Don Hutchison, a couple of other Scottish players. So I thought, I'll go there. Agent Heath was assistant manager. He was my assistant manager at Sunderland. So I thought, I'll go there. And... Uh, should fit in. Started off great, first few games, scored in my second, my home debut and things like that, and played well. And then it just kind of went downhill for there. Do you know 
just hated it. Did you? Uh, you branded their fans the worst you'd ever came across? Ah, you probably said that in the heat of the moment. Um, just because the abuse I took some games, like the abuse was really, really tough. I, I seen me getting sent off, get sent off one game for trying too hard, try to tackle people and things. And then the second game, after the three match ban, I came back and got sent off the first game and got back. And I'm in the dressing room crying and fucking like this, oh man. And then I coming out the stadium and getting abused by the fans. And I'm thinking, this is. This is unfair, you know, I'm, I'm trying, it's just yeah. not happening for me. And that was kind of, I, I, I is a, a moment in my life that I don't really like talking about because it was what it was and I went for the wrong reasons. I should just have stayed put as to where I was. They were giving me mere money and, and ultimately um, I went for the money rather than for the football. I suppose for a player like you as well, you need a team to play at your strengths. Has ah, that been the case it, it was... I, I came back, I was only back playing six months, so I thought I was still the Kevin Kyle that was taking a, that was that was running right in the championship before. And I thought I could go to Coventry and run right in the championship and um they just didn't suit they just didn't we just didn't play to the way that suited me and ultimately that's what it was. And it was a confidence thing as well. I didn't have a lot of confidence and um and then that, that was really about it. Do you think every player's like you? Do you think is it everyone's confidence? Oh of course it is. See when you're confident. You go wherever you want to go. See, when you're not confident, you put on a provider mm -hmm. that makes everybody think, well, a big man's cruising through life here, but deep down, there's, you know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of things going on inside that make you doubt Thank yourself. You, yeah. you, um, your insecurities come out a wee bit more, and you'll, you, you know what it's like. You play football, you, you, you play crap on a Saturday, but you'll come in, you'll go, ah, it's all right, I'll sort it out next week, but deep down, you're, you're raging with yourself. Mm -hmm. That's just how football is. It's quite a, a, it's quite a vile industry because. Mm -hmm. If I'm playing a Saturday and you're in my team and you're on the bench, do I really care about Simon Ferry? I'm not bothered. I'm playing. He's no, I'm not bothered with him. Uh, it's, it's, it's a selfish thing. It's a ruthless industry. On to some good times now, mate. We're going to skip Aye. the Kilmarnock. How did that move? The return to Scotland? Oh, well, How did it come about? The, the company said I could go and they paid me up and phoned a wee agent guy. I didn't have an agent at this time. Phoned a wee guy. I said, look, if I move, went back and go back to Scotland. And then Jim Jeffries is always, was always an admirer of me. Uh, and he says, I'll give you phone me and he's come to command. I can't offer you a lot. He says, but I'll get your career going. That'll do, Jim. I'm on my way up. So come up on the Thursday, signed on the Thursday, um, trained on the Friday. Jim wasn't there because I think he was getting his, uh, I think he was getting a snip or something. <laughs> he was in the hospital. <laughs> so I was like, I didn't get to meet him. So I get picked for the game on the Saturday against St Martin. And it was the opening day. I don't know what the ground's called, the opening dates at Mons New Park, first ever game. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to score the first goal here today just for banter. And that, that's, that was what I was thinking of. <laughs> I banter. just got this air of confidence that I'd <laughs> left the club and I was like, here we go. And then I looked up and I was playing big Scott Cuthbertson, is it? Uh -huh, Scott, 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 Scott Cuthbertson. I'm pretty sure I read an interview one day saying that I was the hardest player he's ever played against. Uh -huh. So it was him and Potter. Uh, big Potter who just went to Sunderland as well. Uh, Dan oh, did Potter, he? Uh, uh, Dan Potter. And, uh, was it Dan Potter? Uh -huh. uh, and then there was, so I was thinking, he's too him to get a chance today. And I absolutely terrorised him. Scored the first goal and we drew 1-1. One, one and I, I'm pretty sure John Hartson was, was raving about me and all that. He's a big fella, I'll do well. So the next week we played, uh, who did we play next week? I think it was Rangers or Aberdeen, one or two. Rangers, whatever, I didn't play. So I thought I played all right. And then the next week, fucking, we're doing a team talk for the Aberdeen game. And says, and Jim, I eventually got to meet Jim and Jim's talking away there. And he says, me to say, I would be a city blogger for I was wrong. I thought, you think you are? I was like, yeah. I says, you come up here. Yeah, you've had a good first game. Last week you were shite. He says, see the day? See if you're shite today? You'll be fucking playing anywhere for us. I says, that's it. And I was like, wow. I was like, fucking hell. So I was like, oh, God, so I played Aberdeen. I played, played really good. 
And I thought, I'm going to fucking chat about his door. And I thought he was out of order, so I chat about his door. <laughs> Scaffer. I says, what's the deal with the, the conversation my door there? I said, I thought you were a wee bit harsh. I but it worked, didn't it? It worked. <laughs> she says, you're brilliant on Saturday, aren't you? So that's what I need every week. Brilliant, eh? And I fucking hell, man. He's reverse psychology here. He's got me. So that was it. Kept Kamal in the cup. Had a good end of the season. And then started the season. The next season, we started the uh, big hopes. My reason for coming to Scottish football was, and this is a selfish and, 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 and a... Maybe I'm too cocky or confident with this one. I genuinely thought I could get myself to the old firm. Right. That's what I thought. I thought, Scottish football, I don't have any big centre-forwards. I thought, I'll get myself to the old firm here. This is my thinking. Stepping stone to the old firm. That's what I was... In my head, that's what I was thinking. And uh, it was going well. And then we played the next season, done all the pre-season. And then first game, I, I pulled a, a muscle in my stomach. So I was it for about four weeks. Then I managed to get back for the first game of the season. Scored two and what have you. And then we ended up staying up again. And I remember playing Celtic one night and... Gave them the proper runaround. Uh, who was it? Fucking big Steve McManus and Glenn Leuven's or whatever. Told them a new one. And uh, I remember bringing the ball down my chest and flicking the other thing in his head and running down our side and all that. And I was like, here we go. And then uh, Gary Caldwell phoned me and says, Kevin, Gaffer's wondering what you're doing next year. I was like, all right. I says, I'm, I'm right up for going to Celtic. I says, yeah. fucking love Celtic. But we go on the track and ended up going to. Uh, Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough yeah. That was kind of end that. I don't. I think he liked me, but I don't know how far it would have went. Mm -hmm. So that was it. So I got to the end of the season, and then obviously, Kamal we stayed up, but there was a bit of controversy leading up to that point with the chairman. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't we'll know. We'll come to that in a bit. We'll come to that in a aye, bit. Aye, but I enjoyed my time at Kamal. Mm -hmm. Gaffer made me captain, and then I took the captaincy away from myself because I felt I was shouting at players too much. I was expecting too much from people, and I just wanted to concentrate my in game. And then I had some really good games, and uh, it was good. Jim, Jim and Billy were brilliant. What, were they good together, Jim and Billy? Aye, they were like an old married couple, you know, and uh, Jim and Billy were... Uh, oh, they just... See when, they off, see when they went off in one? Oh, man, it, they went off in one. But it didn't matter who you were, obviously, because you no, know what you said No, it didn't matter, here, because huh? I remember one night uh, they, we were struggling in a game, and I should come over to shout to Billy, Billy, Connors, come on, where's he playing? And he's like, fucking Connor knows where he's playing. I was like, right, corner. So I went back on as the captain. I was trying to organise the team. So after the game, and see you, yeah, fucking. He says, who the fuck do you think you are? I was like, what do you mean? He says, fucking coming here and telling, making it as though you're doing the team tactics. He says, mean Billy's the manager. And the two of them came for me, and I got up, and Alec McQueen, the physio, he grabbed me. Billy Brown grabbed them too, and it was a case of who was going to hit who first. And I was like, aye, aye, aye. I says, you ask Connor who he's playing. When he was playing, Connor, where were you told to play? Uh, right wing gaffer. I says, there, point proving gaffer. You, Connor, I told you he got front. No, he didn't, the gaffer. He told me to go right wing, and that was it. It was like going back and forth. Uh -huh. and but was it good up. that you could have that? Aye, but the next day we were best of friends again. But they were really, really good footballing people. Like They had the best interests of the club at heart. They were uh -huh. really, really good. What was, uh, what was the controversy with the chairman? I don't know. What happened was, uh, uh, I think I said something in the press or something or whatever it was, and the chairman phoned me. No. The chairman phoned me one night, he says, Kevin, it's the chairman, Michael. I want you to talk about a new deal. I says, no, boy. I says, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to come down? He says, I'll come down maybe one day next week, he says, and uh, we'll talk about a new deal. He says, well, we're unlucky on Saturday. I says, no. I says, we're not unlucky. He says, what do you mean? I says, unlucky is when the ball gets ricocheted off somebody's arse and is at the top corner. I says, that's unlucky. He says, we're not very good. I says, and that was it. All right, OK. When you come down, do you want to talk about the manager's tactics and stuff if you think we're unlucky? Because they're saying obviously different things. I says, no, no, I says, that's the, up to them. It's nothing to do with me. I says, and you shouldn't have asked me that. So I thought to myself, 
I better say to Billy and Jim about this, the guy, the chairman's asking me. So I said to Billy and Jim, I said, look, Michael Johnson phoned me last night and said, look, do you want to go down and talk about the, you and Jim's tactics and team formations and stuff? I said, I told them what I'd said about being unlucky and that, and Billy's like, oh no, I really appreciate that, because I didn't want them thinking that I was talking behind their back. <laughs> and that's how it all came about. Michael Johnson came on to BBC Scotland and called me a liar, and then that was it, I just spent full tonto. Did you speak to him again after that? And I you? never spoke to him ever again, and uh, Billy and Jim got the sack, which I think they were glad of. I don't know if they got the sack, but they moved on. Check that I had a reason them getting the sack. Ah, that was partly, didn't it? But they had better things in the pipeline, you know what I mean? And they, and obviously Jimmy Calder would come in, and uh, he was a character. Uh -huh. <laughs> but see, after that had happened, were you desperate to leave Kilmarnock? Aye, that? that was it. My, that Kilmarnock had offered me a new deal, and I, I wasn't the first day, and I was wanting to go wherever it was I needed to go to. And uh, Jimmy Calder would come in, and even he said, he said, I would get a new deal and that, and, but... Jimmy, Jimmy was, Jimmy was, obviously it's sad to hear what's happening with Jimmy now, with his, his illness and stuff, but what a great guy. Was he, was he, did he make it easy for you to leave? Ah, he, he, no, just, my contract ran out and that was it, and uh, he just liked a baby, liked a crack, and uh, we used to wind him up, and I remember, we, he's a big Rangers fan, obviously, it's well known, and we used to, we used to play Rangers, and his team talk would be, right, boys, see the date, we don't need to win, but they do. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding me? And then one time I the flip chart, I used to do the flip chart with all the tactics on it. So we, Chrissy Maguire, came in loan for Aberdeen. I says, Chrissy, there's a fucking stapler, let's staple these tactics together. So, staple the, ta the tactic sheet. So we're standing there and fucking come in the team talking, and his team's open the first page, they've left the first page, so he's flipped the first page here. And then he's talking away on the second page, fucking minted it and it's ripped. <laughs> <laughs> like, so I'm like sitting beside Chris, he's nudging me, I'm nudging him, trying to keep a straight face. The next one is like, fucking hell, Sandy, what's wrong with this flip chart? They <laughs> came out here, Sandy Clark came out and looked at it. It was all, this is some kind of state with it, a girl. This is you, you can't say, Maguire, what are you? <laughs> uh, you can't lie. So we've got the team top, but then we lost. Uh, oh, she oh, see, oh, man, see, she lost to it in the game. I says, we were like, don't you ever fucking do that again. I says, that's it, I says, never again. But then I forgot about it, but it was funny. The kind of guy you could get a laugh with. The kind of guy you could get a laugh with, and a good, good, good guy. Uh -huh. uh, on a Hearts, was that a no-brainer with Jim and Billy going? Aye, ah, when Jim went there, I was like, yes, you dancer. Because Chabo Laszlo wanted me to go to Hearts. Uh -huh. And uh, I'd always kind of wanted to go to Hearts for some reason. Hearts, I played Hearts in 2002 for Sunderland and I remember Craig Gordon was in goal, youth team, and I scored a hat trick against him and then I played Hearts up at Rickerton one time and I scored a few goals and Craig Levine was the manager then he was like, only chance we could get you in loan here at Hearts and, 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 and Peter Lee was like, no, he's going nowhere. And uh, I remember when Jim went there, I thought, fuck yes, that's me, my contract runs at the end of the season, I'm going to Hearts, I've got to be going to Hearts. Mm -hmm. So I got this agent phone and says, Kevin Aberdeen wanted to sign you. I was like, oh did he, aye, because I had done well against Aberdeen. Mark McGee was manager, so I went and sat in a garden and had an interview with, I, I, I sit down with Mark McGee, Mark, I said, Mark, I said, I'm living come on old now. I said, my kids are happy, Aberdeen's an old move. I said, I don't want to move. Right, you can uh, play Saturday, take Sunday, Monday off, come up and train Tuesday, take Wednesday off and then come up Friday. So it's like just three days a week. Mm -hmm. He says, keep yourself right, he says, that's fine. So I think you make a big difference to your team. I was like, right, okay. So put the figures on the table. I was like, no. Nah. And at the same time, I was sitting thinking, when the fuck is Jim Jeffries going to phone me? <laughs> okay, this is, oh, it's all up in the other now. I need to speak to Romanov and uh, just need to see what's going on. I was like, Billy, only chance he's speaking to Jim. I says, I'm fucking desperate to get your hearts. Uh -huh. I thought this was the whole plan. I says, I've got to use it. I come on. I says, I've got to use the hearts. And then uh, Jim phoned me, says, Kevin, I, we're going to offer you a two year deal. Come on up. So I went up and signed it. and 
try to negotiate a deal with Russians, man, honestly. <laughs> I did it myself and uh, eventually we signed and, and uh, Jim's like, I'm going to need to try and get you a wee striker to play with you. I says, Gaffer, I know the guy, I know the guy. He says, oh, who? I says, we Stephen Elliott, I played with his son. I says, a great wee guy, great for the dressing room, cracking football player. And I phoned Steve, Steve's, I've just got you a move to Hearts. He says, shut up, have you? I says, aye. I says, honestly, he says, Jim James got to phone you. I says, tell me you would love to play with Big Kyle and all that. I says, and then you come. So he ended up coming up to Hearts and they... We had an unbelievable start to the season. We were sitting in between Celtic and Rangers. We played something like, we'd won 10 games in the bounce. We were like 30 points. We were, look, we were looking like we were actually going to really challenge Celtic and Rangers. And I was scoring goals and, they, and it was it was class. It was just like... How big a club is that? Massive. Like huge. I didn't realise that... Like, just if I had started my career at Hearts and finished my career at Hearts, I'd have been happy with that. Because really? Because they, they were such a fantastic fans club. And because I didn't know Edinburgh or the Derby, are you, are you from Edinburgh? No, Dundee. Dundee, I, I thought. Same that, thing. Aye, same thing. Uh -huh. I didn't know what it was like, but once I got involved, I was like, geez, oh, this is quite a big thing. And then obviously the Derby, the first Derby was at Easter Road. And again, Billy played his, no, Billy, Jim played his like, psychology games with me. Uh, leading up to the game, we'd won something like maybe seven games in the bounds. And it was becoming easy. We're just playing St. Man, we'd beat them, we'd play Hinverness, we'd beat them. and. Gaffer pulled me, says, Kevin, he says, I've just had a phone call for the chairman. I says, all right, aye. He doesn't want to play you on Sunday in the derby. I say, all right. I says, you tell me why I should play you on Saturday. I said, well, Gaffer, I'm going to tell you right now. And I was blunt. I says, I'm the fucking best player we've got. <laughs> I says, I, I'm going to lie. I beat by the bush. You think a big Marius or whatever, Rudy, I'm the best player we've got. I says, without me, this team falls like a deck of cards. Right, OK, OK. So for the next three days, he's doing shape. I'm not even involved. I'm getting pure paranoid now. I'm getting all like, my, my, my arse is starting to feel as though it's sinking, you know? I'm thinking, I, I can't believe it, I'm not playing in the derby. Uh -huh. And then, uh, so on the Saturday, trained in the game, I think the game was a Sunday, sitting in the dressing room and I'm fucking, oh, I'm not playing today, I'm not playing today. Team get nines, number nine, Kevin Clay. I was like, fucking hell, I am playing. And I was like, yes, yes, who's playing today? I was like, so I was straight away, team, who's, who's playing? So bamba, I thought, buzzing, so bamba. I fucking drink so bamba, you know what I mean? I'm thinking, this guy's all right, you know what I mean? I, he's going to be all right, I keep him right, I'm going to, we're going to, and sure enough, I had a great game, won everything. Stephen Elliott scored via knockdown, and we won 2 0. Temp scored a, a dribbler, and that was it, and then the party atmosphere, I thought, and I says, Gaffer, I honestly thought I wasn't playing. I says, you told me the chairman didn't want to pick me and all that. I'm thinking, so I was actually going to ask for a transfer request and everything. <laughs> he says, oh, don't be silly. He says, you were always playing. I just had to make sure that you were 100% up for it. He says, and you were. And that was it. I was like, fucking, he's done me again. He's done me again, you know. And that, it was just one of the things. It was a, a surreal moment. And then obviously a derby against Hibs in the last minute, scoring the winner and stuff. And that was... Uh, Probably one of the best moments in my career. See, so your time at Kilmarnock and Hearts time, is that probably the most enjoyable Aye, time in your career? I enjoyed my time at Sunderland for different reasons, but Kilmarnock and Hearts was very enjoyable. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously that day against Hibs when I scored the winner, felt the exact same pinch in my groin I did 10 years ago at Sunderland. And again, that was me for 18 months and that kind of signalled basically the end of my career, I thought. That's, how frustrating is that, that, that injuries that you've, that, you've, that you've picked up? When, when I, got, when I well. got my career going, and then they started talking about me. I came crashing back down to earth twice. Mm -hmm. So when I look at the two hip injuries, that's 36 months in total I spent. That's three years of football mm -hmm. I spent sitting on the sidelines watching everybody. 
And Sunderland got promoted and Hearts won the Scottish Cup in the times and it was very, very difficult to see that happening because I, had I been medically diagnosed properly by, by Hearts, because I was always adamant it was my hip, but they were adamant it was my groin, I went for four hernia operations and two groin operations before I eventually got a hip operation. And the, hip, the day I got the hip operation, I actually paid for that myself. Did you, huh? Why? I paid half and uh, the PFA England paid half because Hearts had said they'd paid enough on me medical-wise to, to keep me going. Shocking, eh? Uh, that, was the, that was the Russians. It wasn't the Hearts as a football club. Uh -huh. It was just the owners at the time. And uh, so I got back playing and I was watching that Scottish Cup thinking that, that could have been me, you know, if I'd have been fixed properly and quickly, I'd have been back and played that and the ball and been part of a bit of history. Mm -hmm. But Craig Beatty took that from me. <laughs> fair play to Beats. He enjoyed it, big Beats, Aye. didn't he? And then you signed for Rangers. Aye. Prior to signing. What options were you looking at? That Was Rangers your only option? Well, I came back fit. I went for a trial game with... Jim was at Dunfermline, so I went to Dunfermline and Jim says, look, you're not going to sign me off, you're better than that. You've still got a lot to offer. So... Uh, Phones at Johnson, Steve Lomar says, I'd love to have a look at you. So up there, I train with them, he says, Kevin, I want to sign you. So he says, look, we can only give you six, seven hundred quid a week. And I was like, that's fine. I said, no, it's not about the money. I just want to play football. So I says, let me think about it, I'll come back to you. Driving down for payoff, got a phone call for Ali McCoyst. Kevin, it's Ali. I said, Ali who? Aye, McCoyst. I said, oh, all right, aye, aye. Uh, I'm just wondering if you want to come to train me for a couple of weeks to get a look at you. I said, I need I'd love that. I says, just come to Mary Park tomorrow. So I went to Mary Park and uh, trained for a couple of weeks and I said, look, Gaffer, I says, I'll be honest with you, I says, uh, I've got an offer on the table to play in the Premier League, I says, and you're not really saying much to me. Oh, no, we want to sign you, I'll give you a year. I said, right. get your agent or whatever, I says, and come in tomorrow and negotiate. So I went away thinking, I ain't got an agent. I says, I, I says, if I can get fucking seven, eight hundred quid out of Rangers, I'll be over the moon, you know. Mm -hmm. I thought, this is, this will be all right. I walked in and Gaffer says, right, Kevin, he says, uh, what are you after? I don't know what happened, right? Mm -hmm. Then he asked me, I don't know what happened, what came over me, but I just went, I went the same money I was getting at Hearts. All right, okay, what were you getting at Hearts? And I said, well, about 150 grand a year. All right, okay, I don't know if we can get that. I said, well, you come back to me with an offer. I said, are you fucking nervous? I thinking, mm -hmm. what have I just said there? You know, I'm thinking. <laughs> killed yourself. I've killed myself. Mm -hmm. And he came back, he said, come back in. So he came back in a couple of years later, he said, we'll give you 100 grand a year, and we'll give you a, a grand appearance money. I was like, right, okay, let me think about that. So I went back outside and I had a wee thing about it and I thought, okay, then, oh man. I said, this, this, this happening to me. I said, this, I was buzzing. Uh -huh. I'd have played with Rangers for nothing. Uh -huh. Do you know what I mean? But, um, Do you think that was happening with a lot of players? Aye, I, I know for a fact. Like some of the, what Ian Black was getting, Timps was getting, Dean Shields was getting, should never have got. Uh -huh. And uh, I, uh, I came in. And uh, I couldn't drive at the time. I think I'd lost my license on my card, broke down. My neighbour took me over. I was pretending he was my agent. I was going back to him to speak to John next door. Just a policeman, you know what I mean? The sergeant the police. I was pretending he was my agent. And uh, eventually uh, I said to him, Look, Gaffer, I said, I'm not using an agent. I said, So I want to sign on for you. I said, See if I get 20 games, I want an R bonus. Aye, that's fine. So I ended up fucking getting home that day and I phoned the wife. I said, Lynn, that's me signing my Rangers. She went, all right, okay. She says, everyone okay? I says, aye. I says, what did you get? I says, take a guess. She's like, I don't know, 500 quid. I says, a wee bit more. She went, 700. I said, oh, a wee bit, a wee bit more. I says, aye. She's telling me, I'm getting excited. <laughs> <laughs> I says, I get two grand a week out of them. I says, and a grand. And that's no me disrespecting Rangers. No. That's just bad, bad financial play for Rangers behalf, you know what I mean? I chanced my arm and I got, I got a decent deal, but I had a, a wee moment where I said things about Rangers and what I thought about it at the time. Rangers didn't need to spend all that finance to get out of the league they were in. 
When I was going to Rangers with a genuine enthusiasm to go there and get my career going again, try and help some young players along the way, see you a year, hopefully get promoted and then maybe get another year. That was my thinking and if I get another year, retire. But unfortunately I got an injury and I was never ever going to get back in time and I just went to McCoy's and I said, look Gaffer, I'm not going to get back in time to, to earn a new deal. I says, why don't we come to a severance package? And I took less money than what I was owed. Mm -hmm. And I just went on my way. I just took what I took, like a, it was a small percentage of what I was actually owed, and I went on my way, and that was it. How was the atmosphere at Money Park at that time, though? It was, it was all right. It was, it was, it was, it was all right. It was some good boys here, you know. And it was so good. I, I was good in the dressing room. I, I was, I was a bit of a joke on a carry on. I would keep things going, and um, it was funny. The first game of the season, I came on as a sub, and I was a few stone overweight at the time. <laughs> I heeded the ball and, and Andy Little tapped in and we came in and the gaffer's team talk was like, see you fucking cunts in here. One nil didn't you this mob? And uh, I've had to fucking rely on him and he's fucking two stone overweight <laughs> to get used with the shit. Uh -huh. He said so, uh, but no, I think Ali had a diff difficult job, you know, it was tough because you'd expect to go there and beat these teams five, six, seven, it doesn't work like that. No, these guys are know. looking at Rangers as a big scalp, but mm -hmm. thankfully they got up the leagues and they're back to now where they belong and hopefully they can move on and, and, and start challenging again. I've got nothing against Rangers one, but you know, I was a Celtic fan growing up mm -hmm. and uh, I got an opportunity to play with one of the biggest teams in Scotland. Nobody turns that down regardless of your beliefs, your team you support. It was a fantastic opportunity and it's something that I will always treasure. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And when people abuse me in my, in my car when I'm working about Rangers, I say, wait, did you score at Ibrox? I did. Mm -hmm. I lived a dream, you know, it wasn't a dream, but I lived a moment that all these guys dreamed of doing. And uh, even my dad came and watched me, my wee brother, who were diehard Celtic fans, and they thought it was one of the, they, they felt as proud of watching me there as anywhere else I did in my career. Oh, yeah. How, did you get to see the fun side of McCoist as a manager? Aye, Coisty was, was funny. He was funny. He was very a very confident guy. Obviously, I've seen his, his interview with yourself and I've listened to him on, on various radio stations in the morning and he's an ultimate great number one guy. And he's just yeah. a, he's a, he's a, such a likeable guy. I remember when I was signed the deal, or just about to sign the deal, and he said to me, he said, so uh, just a quick question, what team did you support growing up? <laughs> I was like, does this hinder on me signing the day or no? I says, my dad did take me to a few Celtic games. It's all right, we'd sometimes accept them. He says, don't worry, we sometimes accept them and in you come and uh, and that was it. We, uh, I played darts, obviously, so I used to get the darts tournaments going in the morning and afternoon and, and they enjoyed that and uh, Kenny McDowell was right into that. And Kenny's a top man as well. Kenny's top Kenny man, but the gaffer, was, uh, the, gaffer was, the gaffer was great. The only thing I ever thought about McCoy letting down was his, his man management. See, talking to him one to one was great, but see, try to get a hold of him to talk to him. Mm -hmm. Come back and see me in an hour, back in an hour, come in after 20 minutes. And then come five hours later and you're going out the car park, see the water boys, I see Gaffer, aye, okay, aye. I'm still trying to get a hood of you. Why do you think that? Was he just in the like, confrontation? I don't know, I don't think he did, didn't like it. I just think he had that much going, going on, on that he couldn't just and all that, uh, everything. But he, he definitely tried his best to get the club back to where they were. So after it, was it just fell out of love of football after that? After that, I decided, like, struggling for clubs, phoned a, a, a lot of clubs, still thought I had a lot to offer. Um, and then Mark Roberts phoned me here and says, Ken, do I come play with you part time? I said I started, I played with her under 15s and I thought, right. Good way in. I thought, go there, see how it goes. And I hated part time football. I hated the fact that I would sit about the house all week, get up on a Tuesday night, drive down to air train, and then I always see, this might be wrong, but I always see part time football as the part time footballers with the jobs. The job's more important than the football. 
So for me, the football loses its professionalism a wee bit because if the guy gets injured on a Saturday, that's his livelihood, really. Do you know what I mean? He can't do his job ah, on the Monday. Uh, job his Monday. Uh, so I think it loses a bit of professionalism. And uh, I just thought, got to the end of that season, didn't he have a great season, to be honest. And I just thought, my wife went, why, why don't you think I'm just getting a job? And I thought, you know what, I am. And that's it. I, and did I retire prematurely? I probably did, but I didn't know what to suffer how I was feeling at air. You know, I just didn't enjoy it. And I, I went away and got a job and, and moved on with my life. And that was that was it. And do you miss the football? No, not at all. Not, not one single... There's no announce in my body that wakes up and thinks, oh God, I wish I was doing this today. I quite like my life. It's, I've got a normal life. I've got a life that's... Uh, I've got a lovely wife, an amazing wife. Uh, four fantastic boys. Um, and just live a simple life. Go out and work, come home, enjoy that nights with my boys and whether it be golf or football, whatever it is they want to do, water slides or building trees and dens. That's... I enjoy it. Sometimes get recognised with people in the street. That's lovely. And now that my boys are getting a wee bit older, they're starting to ask me questions about my footballing career, and that's nice. So for me, my football career was all about memories, and I will live with them forever. And um, no, I've got no, no regrets. One regret, maybe leaving Sunderland a bit too prematurely. That's probably my only regret. But apart from that, I've lived every young boy's dream. You know what I mean? That, and that, that's all I've ever dreamt of doing, and I did it. Been a pleasure listening to you, big man. Thanks very much. Well, Simon. All the best. Cheers. SB Networks, we keep the nation humming by connecting us all to Ireland's power network. To increase the capacity and maintain the safety of the network, we may need to temporarily switch off the electricity in your area for a short period. As always, we will let you know in advance if you're going to be affected. To find out more, visit esbnetworks.ie. Now that the Leaving Cert results are out, are you wondering what the next move should be? Why not take a look at City of Dublin ETB? 13 great colleges where passion matters so much more than points. CDETB has a huge range of PLC courses, from media to childcare, tourism to science, brilliant teachers and one-to-one attention. And PLC courses at City of Dublin ETB offer a national QQI qualification. Visit cdetb.ie to find out more. It might be the best choice you'll ever make. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.